Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to overtime! Marty, the podcast is back. It's Sabres Live Overtime, and uh, we are inching closer to the trade deadline. So even with our Monday to Friday schedule, we need more time to discuss everything that's going on in and around the game. Uh, an old colleague of yours is going to join us here coming up. Yeah, Kevin Curse and, and Kevin covers the New York Islanders with the Athletic. He did cover the San Jose Sharks with the Athletic. But I worked with him, as you say, an old colleague, is he was with the media relations of the Philadelphia Flyers when I was there for two seasons. So he was kind of like the Jordan LaBarber of the Flyers where – uh, if he and I ever walked on the beach at the All-Star game, he would have been asking me all these questions. Um, <laughs> he took me and my son Jacob to a Phillies game. With, it was Flyers did the Phillies, and he's the one that did like the behind the scenes and kind of basically asked the questions. So Kevin and I go way back. Uh, we always keep in touch. He hits me up with all these goalie questions all the time. And uh, so now I figured, hey, why not get him on? Because there's a playoff race with the Islanders and the Sabres and other teams, and um, he's fantastic. Sounds good to me. And when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos betting counters are open daily, and self-service betting kiosks are available 24-7 at all three locations, whether you visit Seneca and Agri, Allegheny, or Buffalo Creek. The Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The Sports Book at Seneca Resorts and Casinos, where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. Kevin, it seems like uh, the early returns Bo Horvat with the Islanders have been uh, a very good thing for he and the team. How would you describe his first uh, first few days here with the squad? Yeah, I would say so. Um, they've won both of the games that he's been in the lineup. They kicked it off on Monday in Philadelphia with a 2-1 win. And he didn't score that game, but you could tell that there was some chemistry there on his line with Matthew Barzell and Josh Bailey. Particularly Barzell, it's been a real struggle, I think, for the Islanders to find someone to play with him. Um, so they move him to the wing, they put Horvat in the middle, and then they do hook up for a goal last night um, in the win over Seattle. Uh, a really pretty goal where Barzell sort of stripped the puck from uh, Yanni Gord along the wall. And you could tell the whole time, I, you know, it was almost in slow motion for me. You could tell that Matt wanted to push it over to, to Horvat to his right to get him a goal in front of the home crowd, and he was able to do that. So, um, you know, goal scoring has been a struggle for this team, but – they got four last night. That was the first time in nine games they've gotten more than two. So um, I think that's still going to be an ongoing uh, uh, facet of their game to monitor. Can they score enough goals to win? But certainly Bo Horvat is a guy that can do that and is going to help. So that's an easy narrative, right? Like the Islanders don't score a lot of goals. And that's what people around the NHL on the on the cover would say, the Islanders, they don't score a lot of goals. But but you're there. You see them every day. You see them practice. You see them in games. Is it was it a lack of talent offensively? And does that that one addition in Bo Horvat make them now a team that oh they're not going to be top scoring NHL team, but it makes them at least middle of the pack with the addition of Horvat. Well, yes and no. I think we're going to have to see some more sustained power play success because that's been the biggest reason why this team is where they are, which is still out of a playoff spot, is the power play has been terrible. So 
they got a goal on Monday in Philly. It was not from that Horvat unit. It was Kyle Palmieri, who's who's also been very good since he came back in the lineup. That's maybe a sneaky guy that was out that that maybe we didn't appreciate how you know how much they missed him. But the power play is going to have to get going, and so they put Horvat in the middle of that top unit. He's one of the best faceoff guys in the league, and particularly on the power play, so that should help. Um, but you know, scoring aside, th- there were just far too many games where I know it sounds a little cliche to say they didn't play 60 minutes, but it was really an issue for this team. And early in the season through the first, you know, three months, it was pretty consistently their starts were not very good. And then leading in the all-star break, it was their third periods. They went 11 straight games without a third period goal, which to me is hard to fathom in today's NHL. How is that even possible? So, um, you know, the last two games, I, I think the most encouraging part of these last two games with Horvat in the lineup, if you're an Islanders fan, is that the the compete level and, um, you know, just the efforts that they were putting putting forth throughout the duration of these games were was they were both really good. I mean, it was probably their two best 60 minute efforts since bef- um, before Christmas or maybe just after Christmas time. They beat the Penguins yeah. five to one before they really started to nosedive. Um, so, so I think remember that's you're talking part. to a Sabres fan base here, Kevin, that yeah. doesn't want the Islanders <laughs> to do well. Right. So I know that they, they've won four in a row and they got Horvath, but this um, and other people around the league are listening too, but um, they're thinking, well, we're screwed now because you know, yeah, I don't know about that all yet. The time and they're doing good. <laughs> yeah. I it's, listen, I'm not going to certainly uh, proclaim here that all of the Islanders problems are solved with the acquisition of Bo Horvat. There were too many things that were going not very well for this team before he got here. Um, And, you know, let's face it, they played a Flyers team that I know they had been playing better and they only beat them two to one. And then they beat Seattle last night. Well, Seattle, that was their first game in since the all-star break, they flew across the country the day before and Martin Jones wasn't very good in goal. So listen, you know, they have to put points in the bag now, I think if they're going to make a run because they have games that are winnable coming up, it's Vancouver, it's um, at Montreal and then against Ottawa. So those are three winnable games before the schedule starts to get a little bit more difficult, but you know, I'm not going to say that I think all of a sudden they're a playoff team. I think we need to see a little bit more from this team on a more consistent basis. But as you said, to, to kick off this segment, I mean, they have been better and it's, it's, there are some early encouraging signs with Horvat in the Knicks now. Do you think there is any situation where they would consider trading Semyon Barlamov if it helped address another need for them? I, I don't think so. And that's the reason for that is twofold. You know, the biggest strength of this team right now is the goaltending tandem. And Barlamov has been very good. He was the one, he actually started back-to-back games. He played the final game of the all-star break against Vegas. He was outstanding. He played the first game coming out of the break because Sorokin was in Florida. He was outstanding in that win against the Flyers. And I think we all know now how important it is to have two very good starting goalies. And there's no one in the system right now that would conceivably be able to come up and give them anything remotely close to the goaltending, the backup goaltending that Varlamov can give them. It's, you know, Corey Schneider has done some nice things in the AHL, but he's not a guy I think you want to rely on. So, you know, and particularly every game is so important down the stretch for these guys. This isn't the sort of thing where they can just take a scheduled loss. They've got to fight for points every single game. And there are obviously some back-to-backs remaining. So, um, I know you want to talk a little bit more about whether this team might make future trades, but I don't think 
Varlamov is a guy they want to deal. I think they could they could get some more depth pieces without having to trade Varlamov, who, by the way, has a 16-team no-trade clause. So even if they did want to move him, it wouldn't be as simple as just calling uh, you know, the 31 teams around the league. So what other moves could Lou look into? Or is he done? Like, did he make his big move before the All-Star break, get an early uh, uh, return, and then just say, this is what we got? You go make the playoffs and, and be, uh, you know, early in the clubhouse uh, and having his um, cocktail. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're done. I don't think they should be done. Uh, this is still, you know, that Horvat deal to me signaled that this – is um, still a general manager who wants to make the playoffs and and thinks that they could do some damage if they get in. And, and he even said it himself that once you get in, anything can happen. And I know it's sort of a cliche line, but he experienced that as part of, uh, you know, when the Devils made their run in, in, I guess it was 2014, right? They were the sixth seed. Yeah. They lost to the eighth seed at LA Kings. Uh, so he has some, obviously some personal experience in, in that. Um, and, and there are obviously other countless examples of teams that were low seeds that went on runs, but to me, this team still needs a couple more things. They, they need another forward. Um, Oliver Wallstrom, it looks like he's out for the season. Cal Clutterbuck, we're not sure what's going on with him. They've been pretty tight lipped about the injury updates, but Wallstrom, at least we, I think we know at this point, he's not going to play for the rest of this season. We saw him on crutches and uh, a big knee brace in the press box yesterday. Um, so I think you're looking at maybe adding another depth forward. Uh, Josh Bailey has been inconsistent this season. We'll see if he can stick on that Horvat line, but he's a guy that they might want to think about upgrading. Simon Holstrom is a rookie who's been on the third line. Both of those guys are right wings. So maybe you look to upgrade that position, but I think more importantly, um, is they're going to need another puck moving defenseman. And that's a facet of their game that Lane Lambert has been pretty, consistently harping on they don't get the puck out of their own zone quickly enough and that's been a little bit better lately but I still think they could use another guy back there that's an established puck moving defenseman that can help transition it out of their own end a little bit more quickly than they've been able to do this season so if you were handicapping the east race for the two wildcard spots uh let's just narrow it down to five teams the two that hold the spots washington and pittsburgh along with the islanders buffalo and florida how would you view this likely playing out oh geez that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) um i mean washington might might you want to say washington is vulnerable but they've gotten healthier i mean pittsburgh it seems like they have some real problems and i know they beat colorado last night but um I, I don't think I didn't get the impression that was either, that 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 was a great game from them either. So, boy, I don't know. I mean, Buffalo's that up and coming team, right? Do they have the experience to do it? And conversely, the Islanders they do have a lot of experience, but as I said before, I think they still have some issues. I, I don't know, man. That's 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 really tough. Uh, at, at least it's it's more interesting this season than it was last season. You know, I got I got here started coming the Islanders last December and they were basically out of it by then. And even when they were in ninth place, they were like 15 points back of eighth place. So yeah, I'll just be, I'll just be content that it's uh it's going to be an interesting race coming down the wire and we should have some pretty good four point games on the horizon because I think, you know, these two, these teams all, I don't think the Islanders play Florida anymore, but they, they play those other teams at least once. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an easy way to possibly handicap it. And obviously with my background, I would look at the goaltenders first, right? Like Darcy Kemper and Ilya Sorokin lead the league in shutouts. 
Now, Kemper won the cup last year. Sorokin is a Vesna, you know, probably favorite or close to favorite with Allmark. Um, that's two goaltenders that you can't dismiss. Tristan Jari is out now with an upper body injury. The Sabres, Lukanen, is that going to do it with Comrie and, and, and Craig Anderson? I mean, yeah. they could. They, they've had success with them. Uh, and the Florida Panthers with Bobrovsky and Knight, I mean, it, it's been a disaster. So if you and they cap it with goaltenders, I would say, okay, Washington and the Islanders have the, the, the better chance, yeah. uh, but you can't just look at one position. Yeah, and, you know, I, that's one question I've gotten frequently over the last few weeks and months is Ilya Sorokin, the real deal. And, boy, this guy, I mean, it, it, he, he just makes difficult saves look easy. It's almost like it's almost – he just – he's so calm back there. And, and I was particularly impressed with him when the Islanders were having trouble scoring more than two goals for, you know, two months or whatever it was um, – he was still unflappable. He was able to compartmentalize and he wasn't getting, you could tell he just was not getting frustrated from the fact that he was doing his job in net, but the wins weren't coming. You know, he was, there was one stretch where I think he had a nine thirty save percentage and he was like five, four and two over that run. So I, I'm, I'm impressed. The more I watch this guy, um, I know his teammates love him and, uh, you know, he, he does not seem to, to get uh, faced by anything that's going on around him. And um, again, that's why I think that the tandem, I, I do think he leans a lot on Varlamov as the, the Russian counterpart there. They, they have that, they have that um, commonality and they have a great relationship. I do think that's helped Sorokin acclimate to the NHL and, and helped to make him the goalie he is now. But yeah. Um, yeah, that's, again, that's, that's the strength of this Islanders team is, is the goaltending tandem. So I don't think you'd mess with that. I think you keep Varlam off and obviously Sorokin's going to be the guy that they give the bulk of the starts to, but um, they, they've both been very good lately. Kevin, you've been on the beat and involved in the game for now decades. And previously to this stop for you, it was in San Jose where perhaps the most talked about trade tradable asset is still located. And that is Timo Meyer. When you think of Timo Meyer, and just this week he's become one of 11 players already this season to reach the 30-goal plateau, do you think Timo Meyer warrants all the attention he is getting right now prior to the trade deadline? I I, I do. I mean, I... I... Timo's career was, was a little bit odd. You know, it was, he, he came up and he, he, he made an impression right away. And then he sort of took a couple steps backwards when I think that was partly because the Sharks team culture was kind of screwed up there for a while when Joe Pavelski left. And I think that affected Timo. Um, and you know, you can't, all the COVID stuff that was going on too, right. How does that affect different people? But um, since since he really seemed to refocus uh, at the beginning of last season, I do think all the tools are there. You know, he's got the speed, he can hit, he gets to the front of the net, he can shoot the puck. Um, I, I do think he's a guy that, that does warrant that sort of attention. Um, I would, I would worry a little bit, maybe giving him a real long-term contract extension because after he got his most recent extension was also seemed when he took a little bit of a step backwards, but you know, he, I was in his mid twenties and I, I think, I think he's matured over the years. I, I think he's become a guy that you can rely on and, 
And, and I do, you know, if, if I'm a team like Buffalo or New Jersey looking for another piece or looking for scoring, more scoring on the wings, um, I do think he would be worth a pretty hefty price to pay, frankly. What, what's he like as a person? Because the one thing that we talk about in Buffalo now is, number one, Kevin Adams wants players that want to be here in Buffalo. Uh, number two is that group who seems to really, really mesh well together and connect with the community and, and you know, Western New York, Southern Ontario and all of that. Um, what's Timo Meyer like? Is he an outgoing type of person, quiet, uh, easy to talk to? What's he like as a person? Yeah, he's uh, he's not the most outgoing guy, but he's he is a guy that I think a lot of, especially the other players that are his peers, they, you know, they, they do get along with him. He, he's... Um, He's a guy that I do think, again, I think he had some growing up to do a little bit, particularly in his early 20s. And um, it just seems like he's worked through that. And um, he's he's I know he speaks like seven different languages. So um, he, he's no <laughs> dummy either. So uh, I, I do think he's a guy that that could that could walk into a, a dressing room and, um, you know, mesh mesh with the mesh with the teammates right away. Especially, do you know, the seven languages. I, I don't know. I, don't. Because, I, I want I to hope, know. Like, I hope that's true. Swede, because in Buffalo, <laughs> that's important. <laughs> yeah. I hope I'm not getting mixed up with somebody else, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. No, um, I, I think you're right. I think I saw that somewhere because I played with Chris Kreider, who does speak like five languages. Yeah. And there's a few players around the league that, that do. And I think Timo Meyer is one of them. You're right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think it would be important. Like I said, you know, I, the, when the Sharks dressing room culture sort of started to fracture there after Pavelski left, I think he was maybe caught in the middle of that a little bit. But um, again, you know, everybody, everybody goes through that sort of stuff, right? Or so many people go through that stuff in their early 20s. You just hope they grow out of it. And, and I think Timo has just simply based on how effective he's been uh, on this Sharks team that, 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 you know, for a second straight year isn't really going anywhere. Well, I'm in my 50s and I'm still trying to figure it out. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be critical of Timo. That's for sure. But I, I would say this, Kevin, you, again, because you were in the West for so long and watching so closely these teams, the their, their ups and downs, and now a team like LA that it is so close, but maybe they haven't had that you know last line of goaltending or Anaheim, which is still in kind of the rebuild era. Um, how are you looking at the teams out West as far as who's going to make a big impact here at the trade deadline? Who's going to go for it? Does Jacob Chikrin move further West? Does he end up in the East? You know, what are your thoughts here as we get close to the deadline? It's interesting, you know, all the speculation that Jeff Chikrin could end up in LA because that seems like the perfect kind of guy they would they would need right now. That's that the Kings are kind of the most intriguing team to me. But like you said, Marty, you're, there's some maybe some questions about their goaltending, right? Um, you look at the Pacific Division; it feels like all of those teams sort of have some issues right now, right? With Edmonton, is their depth going to hold up? Uh, the Golden Knights are without Mark Stone now. Um, the flames have been sort of up and down uh, and, and I'm still not sold on the Kraken. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. And maybe it's just because I covered Martin Jones for too long and he's, he's getting the bulk of their starts, but. <laughs> and he played badly against the Islanders. Maybe yeah, he wasn't... Season, Cause he's been good this year. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Um, so the Pacific's really intriguing to me, which, which teams are going to, are going to make moves there to try to separate themselves from the pack. Um so yeah, it's you know I'll tell you what it's easy it's a lot easier to follow the full the whole league when you live on the West Coast because like you know I would go to a Sharks game that would start at seven thirty Pacific time 
but like I'd be sitting on my ass at home before going to the rink at least watching like the first two periods of an East coast game. Right now it's like, I'm working late. So I don't, the late games are over by the time I get done working and drive home. So I haven't watched enough of those games and as many of those games as I would have liked. It's tougher out here. It is. It's, it's tougher. Yes. Uh, unless you're like duffer and you just stay up all night and never sleep. <laughs> so that's what he does. He sends email at two 33 in the morning. Hey guys, a uh, possible talking point for tomorrow. I'm like, dude, go to bed. That's but uh, okay. Um, very impressive. How about this one? So Rasmus Dahlin's having a fantastic year in Buffalo and for some, he could be a Norris finalist. You covered Eric Carlson and you see mm-hmm. what Carlson is doing this year. Could get over 100 points this year. On Sabres Live, I said, I don't think he'll get to 100 points, but he could get to 102. So I kind of <laughs> went on both sides of the fence here. Uh, so how's Carlson's season? And does is there a way for Darlene to say, I'm going to snag the Norris if, if the Sabres make the playoffs and San Jose doesn't? It's interesting because I, you know, I am one of the voters for those awards and I feel like I've always put team performance um, at the, at near the top of the list when I'm considering that, because I do think it's important. You know, I like, like Ilya Sorokin is the guy they talk about out here. Is he a Vesna trophy finalist? I'm like, well, if the Islanders get in the playoffs, then absolutely. If he doesn't, I don't know, maybe not. Um, But Boy, a hundred points from Carlson. I mean, that'd be the first time since what Brian Leach, right? Like 92. I mean, I don't know how you don't give it to the guy if he's that much far ahead of the other players in terms of points. And I know it's a defenseman position, you know, and Adam Fox is another guy that maybe is a little bit more well-rounded and his defensive numbers are better than Carlson's and Carlson's playing meaningless games. Maybe he's taking more chances because, you know, who cares if you give up three goals when, you're playing for a team that's in the mix for Connor Bedard. So I, I understand that argument, but if he's that far out, I mean, and plus, you know, he's like, every time you look at Twitter, there's some sort of ridiculous highlight he's making that somebody eclipsed. So it's, it's, <laughs> um, and, and I think you have to give the guy a lot of credit too, because he, he really did go through some tough seasons there and I'll admit, I thought he was done and not, not done in terms of he was going to have to retire, but the, I thought the injuries had taken a, enough of a toll that he was never going to be able to do some of the things that he's doing now. So, so full credit to him for, for being able to do that sort of stuff. Um, if you're Doug Wilson, you're probably looking at this thinking, where the hell was this three years ago? Or else I still might have a job <laughs> or maybe even a, a Stanley Cup ring by now. Um but I, I think if he reaches a hundred points, I mean, man, I, I don't know how you don't give it to him at that if that happens. Kevin, my last one for you um, would be: What's the biggest uh, non-story for you here as we approach the trade deadline? Meaning names that you always hear that you're just like, eh, these these are not going to have the impact that people think they're going to have around the league. Oh man. In terms of guys that are, are yeah, you know the what the cycle is like, right? Like we hear the same names last year, like, honestly, Ben Sherratt, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, okay, well that was quick. Florida's out. You know, and <laughs> it, you know, it just, I don't know. I feel like we're all guilty of it because we, we feed the beast on a daily yeah. basis here by, by pushing names. But I do wonder if you, if you sit there just, you know, as an observer, analyst, and writer within the game, whether you see, like, I don't know how much impact these guys are going to have. 
Yeah, I mean, because the two names at the top of the list, I do like them both, you know, and maybe that's just because I've seen them so much between Timo Meyer and and Jacob Chikrin. I thought, you know, the the year that the Sharks played them eight times, I mean, he was the best defenseman on the ice whenever the Sharks would play the Coyotes, like in six of those eight games, he was just outstanding. So, and I Mm -hmm. think I might have put him on my Norris ballot in the top five that season. Um, You know, Patrick Kane, right? He's not, his numbers aren't that great. Um, Is he dealing with some sort of injury? Uh, and, and I know he's a guy that that the Islanders fans have been talking about frequently because he's said in the past how much he likes playing with Matt Barzell. And does he look at the, this Islanders lineup now and see Josh Bailey on the right side of Bo Horvat and Matt Barzell and think, boy, that might be a pretty good place for me. Um, so, you know, I, I, I question how much impact Kane would have when 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 there seems like there's, there's so much uncertainty there. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, you know, but it does seem like some of the, especially the depth defenseman pieces, get a little bit, get a little bit more, too much, uh, too much press than they should. I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now. But um, Joel Edmondson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good one, right? Right. Right. And you know, Shane a Gosh- first rounder, a second rounder, and a third rounder for Joel Edmondson. Let's make a deal. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Kevin, but we need that uh, stuff that that's what people read about we got to hammer that stuff though that's so. true absolutely we always do the fans love it they they are the leader in that uh, they want more rumors and uh, yeah. that's what it was. um when i was in philly and you were you know obviously you know covering us and working with the team and all of that um mm-hmm. was i part of a lot of rumors did i was i a name that you heard around the office and we're like we can't trade marty what are you guys talking about? <laughs> I do not remember that one way or the other. What would that have been 2008 or so? Yeah, 2007, 8 and 2008, 9. I just remember that 2008 season was so fun because, you know, the team was so bad in 06, 07. And then 2008 yeah. kind of came out of nowhere, right? And it was with you and Danny. And I saw Danny two nights ago in the press box. And yeah, uh, I said, you got any scoops for me? He goes, yeah, I probably do. But I should probably just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> he's a uh, typical front office guy now yeah You're not getting anything i can't get anything out, <laughs> out of briere i'll text him calling call him all i get is if i put a joke out there i get a quick response that's it <laughs> so, and hartsy hartsy's doing tv now I, yeah. I got to say hi to him and on nhl network um i just remember that season being being such a such a good time because it was it was uh and this and the and the, they really needed it, right? Coming out of that, all the Forsberg stuff, and they make all these moves, and they bring in you and Danny and and Hartsey and Chemo, and it was like an instant turnaround uh, for that franchise. Yeah, a lot of terrific names for sure. Kevin, thank you for your insight today, and uh, obviously uh, really shaping up to be an interesting next few weeks before the deadline and before season's end. Thanks so much for the time. Yeah, you got it, guys. Thanks for having me. Some good insight from Kevin. We appreciate that. Marty, I do have one lingering question here about Arizona and Jacob Chikrin. If you're the Coyotes, why would you trade him to Boston when Boston is clearly going for it and doesn't have a lot of presumably current assets on the team that they're going to want to part with and tying it in with the athletic here where Kevin writes, like, the Bruins don't have a super deep system with which to no. part p- top prospects. Like if you're Arizona, wouldn't you be looking at somebody that is absolutely flush with high end prospects? I would anticipate a smart 
team to do exactly that. Look at who has the deepest prospect pool and go and pick right at that. Like when the Sabres traded Ryan O'Reilly, the St. Louis Blues had a deep prospect pool with Jordan Kyrie, Robert Thomas, Tage Thompson. Now, they swung for the first two. I believe they did. They mm-hmm. ended up with Thompson. But when you're deep, that you see what Tage turned out to be, right? Thomas and Kyrou are fantastic, but they had deep pockets when it came to prospect. You can hit it. Uh, Boston doesn't. Uh, but again, I'm thinking, okay, like Boston could trade you first round pick in three, four, five years down the road. But if you're Arizona at some point, how often can you kick or punt the ball down the road? Like you got to make do now, especially if it's yeah. with Chikrin. I think that's why it's been held up is that they want so much for Chikrin that they're not getting what they want. Don't trade them to Boston now and then get a, a 50 cents on the dollar return. Yeah, I agree with you. Is there any, with our discussion with Kevin and, and what we've been doing on a daily basis, is there one team, I, I would say in the West, that we haven't talked about enough that you think might somehow make a way into all of these, whether it's Chikrin or somebody else, but can somehow make a big splash? Because Marty, we barely glossed it over on the on the show recently. Like it is so tight in the West as it, as it pertains to the Pacific Division, but the wild card and Minnesota and all their cap nightmares ahead. Like the, the wild are flush with prospects, but it's not going to help them right now. But like, are they... Are they kind of frozen by this? I don't want to steer you towards Minnesota, but is there a team no. in all of this that that is really intriguing for you? Okay, so I believe Minnesota is going to miss the playoffs. I think Colorado is going to catch them. I think Calgary is going to get hot. Minnesota, now third in the Central, is going to find themselves out of a playoff spot very shortly here. That's wow. what I believe. Uh, so they would have to make a big trade and get themselves going and use some of their prospects and picks to be able to get there. Now, the linchpin in all of this out West, in my opinion, is the Chicago Blackhawks. Kane, we talked to Kevin about him. Taze, Max Domi, Andreas Atanasiu, Jake McCabe, uh, Peter Morazic, whatever, right? Like, they've got so many pieces. And I don't want to say Chicago can maybe afford to sell low, but they really don't want anything happening for the rest of the year. They want picks and prospects. And they want Connor Bedard. So I think that's where it all starts from with Chicago. True. But do any of those players, in your opinion, ultimately have a significant impact on their new teams? You're going to laugh. I, I think I could see Atanasiu have an impact because I've always liked him, right? Mm-hmm. Put him in a third, fourth line and use his speed. And, and who knows? Maybe he gives you depth, that type of impact. I still think Patrick Kane can have an impact. And I know the numbers are not that great this year, but it has to be a miserable year for Kane and Taste, to be honest with you. And I have all this rumors and, and what is going to happen. And the team is terrible. A three-month season for Patrick Kane on a good team with good players, I think that could be very, very tasty for him. Well, thanks to Kevin Kurtz and our entire crew, and thank you for being with us. Uh, The conversation continues Monday to Friday on Sabres Live. We'll see you soon. 